Good morning. Today's scripture comes from the book of Genesis, starting with verse 1 through 3, then verses 26 through 27, and ending with verse 31. We'll be reading from the New Testament or the New International Version. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as a text is presented on the screens above. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw that all he had made, and it was good. And there was an evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is JD, and again, I'm one of the pastors here at Pine Lake Avenue Church. Um, I get the privilege of sharing the word with you this morning. Um, a couple of things, really quickly. Um, two mentions, shout-outs we have to do. The first thing is that Haley Jones, where are you? You're there. Can you, can you just wave your hand? Haley did that art piece right there for the bumper. Can we just, like, recognize, like, seriously? Yeah. That was incredible. Um, Haley's an incredible artist. You'll be seeing more of her artwork um, Next week, during Encore, we've kind of talked about that. Um, but uh, we asked her to do a piece um, as we talk about creativity. And Charles, Charles Pickering, I don't know where Charles is. Is he in the room? He's probably out there. But he did the video. I mean, can you believe that, that we produce those things here at Pine Lake Community Church? Can we give Charles a hand, too? Yeah. It's crazy. Seniors in high school making awesome stuff. Um, so anyways, we're in a new sermon series called You Are Creative, where we're exploring the idea of creativity and what scripture has to say to us about it. Now, uh, I'm going to start with a story that doesn't really seem like it's about creativity, but we'll, we'll get there, all right? So, um, I'm half Korean and half Filipino, and I was born in Korea and lived there till I was seven, okay? Now, my parents divorced when I was two. I never knew my biological father. Never knew him. Um, he was a musician, and he, like, traveled across Korea, and, and he was, like, you know, semi-good-looking and a really talented singer. Um, and so, like, women loved him, and, you know, and so that's how my mom met him. She was at the club, and she met my dad, and then came me. Uh, and they got married, and they tried. They tried for two years, but it didn't kind of work. Um, and my mom didn't want me to grow up in that kind of life. So she literally took me, and boom, that was it right? And uh, anyways, I never knew him. Uh, All I saw of him was like a little tiny photo in like a wedding photo of my uncle's where his face was like this small and maybe a group of like 40 people. And the only other thing I knew about my biological father as well was um, on one of my pictures as a kid, there was like this cursive handwriting that had my name written on it. And that was all I knew of him. All I knew of him. Until like three years ago. What happened three years ago was that I found my half-brother on Facebook. Thank you, Facebook, I guess. Um, 
So this is how it happened. I was at this stage in my life where I was curious about my identity. I was curious about where I had come from. And it's always awkward. I'd go to the doctor's appointment, and they'd be like, so let's cover your medical history. Anything on your mom's side of the family? And I'm like, la, 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 la. And then they would say, how about on your dad's side? And I'm like, which one? <laughs> you know, stepdad, dad, second stepdad. You know what? I, what? And he's like, your biological dad. Like, well, I don't know. Did he have cancer? I don't know. Did he have? I don't know. I didn't know. So I decided um, to ask my mom. Uh, I'd love to get to know a bit of my, my past. And she works at a church in Korea where she has a lot of, um, it's a foreigner's church. So there's like Filipinos and Sri Lankans and Malaysians in Korea. And she translates Korean into English for them. So she asked all of her like Filipino buddies and disciples and friends to go and find JD's lost father. And it was crazy because he came from a small village in the Philippines. There are no records anywhere. And the only reason why I found my half-brother was because he's a junior and they have the same name. And so when we reached out to him, you know, my mom was kind of like, are you, it's always awkward, right? How do you do this? So she's like, are you the son of this guy who may have gone to Korea at a certain point in time? And maybe, you know, we don't know any of their history, don't know anything. And it turns out that he was my brother. And they had a conversation before I had a conversation. Now, now he and I message on Facebook, um, Messenger. Our, our goal one day is to come together. He's an engineer in Myanmar. I talked to him last night as I was preparing for this, finalizing my notes. Um, and, and it was crazy because once we connected, he sent me pictures of my dad, right? He sent me all these things about who my dad was. And, and the narrative that I had known for so long, which was that he was this evil man, was totally not true. It turned out that he loved me deeply. Transformed my life. The thing that I want to mention this morning that's kind of unique is that when my mom and he talked for the very first time, my brother, um, she said that this is what he said. Uh, he saw my Facebook picture and he said, wow, JD looks a lot more like our dad than I do. And that was like, that's crazy, right? Right? that I have this resemblance to this man that I never knew. Most of my life, uh, people were like, you look like your mom, but it turns out I might actually look more like my dad. Uh, We all resemble someone, right? We all favor like a parent. I look like my mom. I look like my dad. I look like Uncle Bob. I look like one of the Kardashians. (laughs) Whatever. You favor somebody. We all resemble somebody. And oftentimes, actually, nearly every single time, we always look like different people. It's not like we have one source of origin that we all look alike to. We don't have the same parents. We don't have the same Kardashians. However, what if I told you this morning that our resemblance actually links back to one person? Or maybe three people, depending on how you look at it, that we actually share a common resemblance. And some of us don't even know it because we have no relationship with this person that we look like. Now, that person, of course, is God. We all look like God, not in the physical form, but in a way that is truer and much deeper, we have a resemblance to God. And if we're going to talk about creativity, it starts with the understanding that we look like him, that we are somehow made like him. 
And so we're going to explore that. And in order to do that, we have to go very back to the beginning. Now, the first three words of the Bible are? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? This morning, I'm not going to talk about creation. I love talking about Genesis 1. Like, you know, all creationism, seven-day creation, you know, all that stuff. Young earth, old earth, middle earth. Thank you. Sorry. He got it. All right, we're focusing on the phrase that shows up in verses 26 and 27, okay? I just want you to listen to this. It's not going to be on the screen. Just listen. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God says, let us make man in our image, or in our likeness, the word that's used there, in our visage, in our appearance, in our form, in our image. The phrase that's often used in Latin is imago Dei, which simply means the image of God. You and I resemble God because we are imago Dei, the image of God. Now it's like, great, thank you, Sunday school, gold star. What does that mean? I have a cool Latin word, you know, get it tattooed on my arm. Don't do that, not from one sermon. Think more intentionally about your tattoos. <laughs> Imago Dei. What does that mean? I think there are a couple of things um, that, that we have to delve into when we talk about Imago Dei. All right, you're an image bearer. I'm an image bearer. And this means several things for us. The first thing that it means is that you are not an accident. You're not an accident. You weren't created sloppily. You weren't just put to pieces randomly. But God created you with intention. Right? In Psalms 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's room. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that well. My frame was not hidden from you, God, when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You weren't a bunch of coincidences or random mistakes that naturally selected themselves to form you. You're not an accident or a series of accidents. God designed every part of you. The second thing that the Imago Dei says about us is that you and I were created for a purpose. There's a reason for our existence. The reason why you came in your family line, in your cultural background, in this moment in human history. We see this in scripture where God addresses individuals. He says to Jeremiah, right? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, Jeremiah. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. John says, uh, Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So whatever you ask in my name, my father will give you. And in Genesis 2, if you read Genesis 2, don't do it now, you're going to find that the reason why Adam was made was because God needed a gardener. It says that in that time, God did not say rain upon the earth and that the waters would come up from the ground like a natural sprinkle system. God invented sprinklers. 
waters would come up, water stuff come down. No rain had fallen because there was no one to care for the ground. God's like, I need a gardener. Let's create Adam. Do you see that? Adam was created not just for relationship, but for a job. He had a purpose even before he was born. Max Lucado says it this way in his book, Cure for the Common Life, Living in Your Sweet Spot. You are the only you God made. God made you, and he broke the mold. And one of the things that is so fascinating to me when I think about music is that every single instrument on this stage you can reproduce and replicate. Pianos, drums, guitars, keyboards, euphoniums. The human voice, only one voice. That sounds like yours. You can't replicate that. This is why God loves it when you sing. Even off tune, quietly. It's all okay. In your shower. Can you imagine that? That God, that, let's say that there was an instrument maker who was like making the world's best instruments, putting so much intention and care. I imagine that instrument maker would recognize the tone of every single piece. How sad would he be or she be if that piece wasn't making the music that it was created for? And so God made you and broke the mold. I think the other thing it says about us when we say that we're creating the Imago Dei is that we are destined to be like God. Okay, we are destined to be like God. Now I know you're like, what are you talking about? We're only human. Now you know what's funny? When we use that phrase, we're only human, we don't refer to the original design of what humanity was meant to be, at least in the biblical worldview. When we say, oh, you know, he did that, but he's only human. What we're referring to what happened in Genesis 3, right? The fallen mistake, that nature where we fail um, and sin, translated in Hebrew, right? We miss the mark. So when we say, you're only human, we miss the mark. When someone excels in something, we never go, oh yeah, they're only human. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. But if we read Genesis 1 and 2 accurately, we should say, when they're excelling and being at moments of greatness, that that's when they're being truly human. Right In Genesis 1.28, we see that there's God-given authority. Humanity is given the authority to rule over all the creatures, to fill and subdue the earth, to have dominion, right? Um, theologians call this the cultural mandate. The job of humanity was to populate the earth, was to create civilization and cities and expand. And if you don't believe me, if you look at the first image in the book of Genesis, right, that humanity is involved in, like the place where we live, what is it? What is Eden? What is it? Garden. If you look in Revelation, right, like 22, in the last image, what do we see coming down from heaven to earth? A city. That's the narrative of the scripture. That we were supposed to be God's representatives building his kingdom, living in a cultural way that reflected his heart. We weren't supposed to be stuck in Eden forever. So all of these advances in medicine and technology, Some people are like, oh, you know, we're playing God, and possibly. Babel did happen, right? I'm not going to get into the debate about that. But what if God is like, I designed you to create because you're created in my image? You're designed to make things and be industrious because that's what I did. We have God-given authority. We have God-given partnership. In Genesis 2, right, I said God creates Adam to be a gardener, and then he does this funny thing. He lets Adam name the animals, Have you ever wondered what Adam called a dog? You know, what if he was like furry brown thing? (laughs) 
All right. God's like, cool, Adam, furry brown thing. Next, elephant. Big swoop thing. (laughs) All right. Big swoop thing. All right. Next animal, dinosaur. All right. Let's just say they were there. Big lizard thing. I mean, how advanced was Adam's vocabulary? He had just been created. (laughs) I imagine my daughter naming animals, and that's kind of what she says, right? But God lets Adam name the animals. God-given partnership. Where Adam and Eve are created to work with God to build his kingdom, to create culture. And then we're given God-given life, right? Out of all of creation, humanity is built uniquely. He takes dust of the ground and he breathes into it. He breathes into it. God breathes his spirit, neshama, into us. And we become living beings. And because of that, we have eternal life. Now here's what's funny. When we talk about eternal life, often Christians think we're the only ones who have eternal life. Like, if you believe in Jesus, you get eternal life. No, 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 no. We are eternal beings by design. You're going to live forever. One place or the other. (laughs) Do you get what I'm saying? It's not like we gain eternal life just because you believe in Jesus. I mean, theologically, some people believe that hell is like the absolute absence of God, right? That you cease of being. If you theologically hold to that and you can defend it, which I don't think you can, maybe... But most of the time, we say, no, we are all destined for some eternal destiny. We all have what C.S. Lewis calls the weight of glory. And I love what he says, okay? Listen to this. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory says this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations. These are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortal's whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of the kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, and no presumption. You have a weight of glory inside of you. You are either going to be so glorious one day that I'm going to be tempted to worship you. Or you're going to be so hideous one day in the places of suffering and absence of God that we dare not look or say your name. You see that? We are created in God's image and that gives us an eternal design. We are immortal beings. What would it be like if we talked to each other that way, like Lewis is saying? You know, if I thought, oh my goodness, like Sarah is not just Sarah. You know, this 23, 24-week-old pregnant woman who's really hungry and having a craving. But she's like, like a goddess in some timeline that I can't yet see. Paul says that we are to be like him, that we see in a glass dimly lit, right? But when he comes, when he appears, we will be glorified like he is. I think the third thing that when we say the Imago Dei, it says about us is it says that you are creative. 
Now, I know, you're not supposed to use the definition within the definition. You know, I know. I'm using the sermon series title as one of my points. I'm not sneaking in. I'm telling you right now. I was intentional. But you're not creative for the reasons that you think. Oftentimes, creativity is handled in such a way where we say, oh, some people have it and some people don't. Or other people have more of it, other people have less of it. Right? Uh, companies look for creativity. You can go to creativity workshops. You can pay thousands of dollars to learn how to be creative. Right? Um, questions are designed to test your brain's dexterity, but also to see if you have creative solutions. You know, if you had a million pinballs, how would you get them to Africa with only a truck? I don't know. I would use the green elephant swoop dinosaur. <laughs> you got the job. Creative. Look. No, creativity is in all of us. And the reason why it's in all of us is because we're Imago Dei. God's first impression to humanity was a God who creates. And when we see that, it's not a God who loves. It's not a God who cares. He says, I am a God who creates, who makes stuff out of nothing. And I make you in my likeness. This is why we can imagine things and make it come to life. This is why Haley can look at a canvas and without really knowing what it's going to be, just like, go at it. Now, I admire her gift. Okay? I don't think what I do music-wise is kind of special. I wish I could do that. If you saw me do that, it'd be like fluorescent stick figures. <laughs> but the reality is, it's not about individual gifts, right? It's a creative thing that's in all of us. Now, this is how I see it every day. My wife is an amazing woman. She's a teacher by trade. If you didn't know that, she's currently a stay-at-home mom. And she's embraced both callings with such grace and passion and wisdom. Like, like I go home and I'm like, okay, teach me how to raise my kid. Yes, tell me the theories because I obviously don't know. <laughs> and she's kind of made our house into like a giant art space. Like, it's crazy how many art supplies Elise has. And they're all mostly washable. Um... <laughs> And so, you know, Elise has rules. She knows that she can only paint on paper and do, you know, she's got all that, right? But she's got sensory tables and like, and one of her shows on Amazon Prime that she loves is Creative Galaxy. I don't know if you guys know that show, but it's awesome. It just teaches you really how to be full and creative. And so I want to show you a picture of what it's like in my everyday. Elise, the artist, right? Well, look at that. She's got like, well, it just looks cool, the picture. It's Instagram, obviously, you can tell, you know. But yeah, she's got like oil crayons, some kind of paint, watercolor or something. I don't know, dude. This is not my gifting, right? Multiple forms. She's going at it. Let's see the next picture. All right. We had a giant box come from Korea. And for some reason, Sarah was like, this is cool, right? It's 3D. And Elise gets to like draw all over it. And so she just went to town. Like I went to work and came back. And I was like, can we put that online? Sell it in MoMA? You know, I mean, I've seen pieces of paper in MoMA that are worth $20,000, like, why not? And so she's focused, right? She was so intentional about what to place where and colors and designs and girls. And she's two and a half. She's really two and a half. Next picture. The artist is happy. Yeah. This is advanced. She was taking the tissue and like, she was making smudges when she was using the tissue to like wipe it. How does she know how to do that? She's just two and a half, Right? There's something innate in her that not only knows how to create, but longs to create. She's just two. She, she's not limited by the rules of what is supposed to be what. She just says, 
I want to make this come to life. Creativity is something that's in all of us. It's in Elise, it's in me, it's in you. And if we judge ourselves by the world standards of what creativity is, then, then we're lost. We'll say some people's creativity is better than others. But the reality is you are creative and your, creative, your creativity matters. It might manifest itself in the ways that you make lunch or cut carrots for kids. It might manifest itself in the way that you organize your locker at school. It might manifest itself in the way that you write the computer program. You know, it's like so neat that like, I don't know, programmers, you assume, I know, engineers, I don't think of you this way, but there's this horrible stereotype that says that you're boring, uninteresting people who just write the same lines over and over again and you just do the same thing all the time. I took a C++ class when I was in eighth grade. I loved it. There was a beauty to code. There's a beauty to it. There's an art to it. And when you sit with it long enough, people could come by and look at the computer and go, oh yeah, I see what you did there. Maybe your creativity shows up in the way that you volunteer your time. Maybe it shows up in the ways that you use your money. In your life and your circle of influence, what you do, no one else can do. You're that unique. And the world needs your expression, your divine resemblance, your input in the world. Yesterday we were here for an Enneagram workshop. Enneagram is this tool that's been around for thousands of years. We wanted to discover who we are. We had people drive from Portland, Oregon. Woke up at 3 o'clock to come here to learn more about who they are. It was crazy. It was unbelievable. We spent time exploring the ways that God has designed each of us uniquely. The truth of it is, and this is what I want you to get, you are a masterpiece uniquely created by God. There's no one like you. Oh, I know. JD, please, please, bro. Can you give me some, like, biblical insight? Can you please, like, just give me um, some, like, really cool theological thing? Like, throw one of your Greek words in there. Latin, I already know. No, no, listen. In the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He creates humankind uniquely with purpose, with intention. If you lived your life believing that you were God's masterpiece, what would it look like? Where would your self-doubts be? Where would your fears be? Biblical truth, all of that is good, but what if you just really thought, God created me and he loves me simply because I exist? He longs to see me show up in my life. He longs to see the ways that I bring myself because there's no other person on this planet in the course of human history who lives like you. What would our community be like if we saw each other as image bearers, as Imago Dei? What would it be like if we thought, oh my gosh, I am standing in the presence of greatness, someone who resembles God? How would we treat ourselves? How would we treat people who might have disabilities or different abilities How will we treat those people who are different from us when we look outside our doors if we said they are Imago Dei, created in the image of God? What would our city be like if there was a group of people who was willing to look past human flesh and see the divine that's within each of us? Now, where are you this morning? Maybe you've started to doubt whether you matter or whether your life has any meaning. Look, you're not a mistake. 
Maybe you've tried this Jesus thing and you're like, oh, this religious stuff is weird. Look, you're destined for a divine purpose and destiny. Maybe you're starting to wonder whether you have anything to offer because what the world says about you just doesn't measure up. Look, you're creative. You're a masterpiece created uniquely by God. This is what I want to do to close. Uh, some of you know that one of the things I love to do with my daughter, among many, is watch America's Got Talent. Man, it's like the best. And I like it because humans are awesome. You know, you get to watch a human being go out there and put themselves out there. It's just like, I mean, I mean, is that what it's like when God watches us every day? And he's like, wow, you're showing up. That's awesome, right? There's something about that process that's beautiful. And at least knows their names. You know, we rewatch the same clips and all of that. 